Our Lord and God, we come before you in Jesus' name. We honor, praise, and glorify you and you alone. To you and to you alone be all of the glory, all of the praise, and all of the honor. We pray that this morning as your word goes forth that you would give to us listening ears. We pray that you would give us believing hearts and understanding minds. We pray, Lord, as we join together on this Sabbath day, on this Lord's Day Sabbath, that we would we would experience the already not yet that you have provided for us in Christ, that Sabbath, our, our Sabbath rest. We pray, Lord, that we would uh, extend the glory of God throughout the week, that we would be temple builders, Lord. We would be people who honor and exalt you by living lives that glorify you and by being eager to share the gospel with all peoples, all nations, all tribes. Help us, Lord, to see all of these wonderful truths today and more as your word goes forth. And we pray that it would be accompanied by your spirit. Help me to decrease so that you can increase, to become less so that you can become more. I decrease, Lord, so that you can increase. Let your people not hear me or see me, but hear you, see you. For your glory and for your honor in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. The last Lord's Day that we joined together, we considered the dominion mandate. If you remember from last week, the dominion mandate that God issued to the apex of his creation, man. The Bible says in Genesis 1, 28, uh, verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Adam was called to represent God on this earth as an image bearer. Adam was to conduct himself in a way that reflected who God is in the dominion mandate. Adam was commanded by God to be fruitful and to multiply, to subdue the earth. As he says in verse 28, God commissioned man to spread his image, the image of God to the ends of the earth. And this would be accomplished through the producing of offspring and by extending the garden, which is the first temple to the ends of the earth. We learn that Eden was the place of the presence of God. On the earth, this was the unique place where the presence of God dwelled. Eden was the sacred space in the initial creation of all things. As we talked about last week, did Adam succeed in fulfilling the dominion mandate? No. We know that Adam disobeyed, that Adam forsook the work of the dominion mandate. Adam rebelled against God and sin was imputed to his posterity, his children, you and I. Sin was passed on to the descendants of Adam. Sin was was infused, if you will, not infused. That's a bad word. Sin was was humanity was then infected with the disease of sin. I, I, I strayed away from infused because that's a Roman Catholic word they like to use. So staying away from that, humanity was infected with the disease of sin. We learned that Adam failed to keep the covenant of works. And we're going to talk more about that work this morning. The dominion mandate was then passed to Noah, who failed, then passed to Abraham, 
who failed. And then passed to Israel, who failed. All failed to obey God in their covenants. This imputed guilt of Adam's sin that was imposed on his offspring or, or, or infected his offspring, it posed an insurmountable obstacle in man's path in fulfilling the dominion mandate. An obstacle that was impossible for man to fulfill. And I mention this now because I think I failed to mention it last week. There may have been a false assumption in that God kept trying with different people as if God has a a plan A and plan A fails. So then God goes to plan B. Ah, Plan B fails. So then God says, let's try plan C. Let's try plan D. There is only one plan of God. Amen. So God is not reissuing this dominion mandate to Noah saying, well, let's try with you and hope for the best. He's not saying to Abraham, let's try with you and then hope for the best or nor Israel. Let's try with you and then hope for the best. There is one plan of God, one eternal plan of God. The fall, brothers and sisters, the outcome of the fall, the failure of all of these others was always the eternal decree of God. Always the eternal decree of God. The fall was the eternal decree of God. Yes, God decreed that man would fall. Are you with me? God was not surprised when man fell. It was always the plan of God. Therefore, Noah and Abraham and even Israel, when they received the dominion mandates, they do so as, as Isaiah was talking about this morning, foreshadows or types of the one who would fulfill the dominion mandate, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who would be obedient to the command of God. Why? Because the gospel It has its end goal. It has its terminus, not in Adam, not in Noah, not in Abraham and not in Israel. But the gospel has its end goal in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal word that was made flesh or became flesh. He and he alone fulfills the dominion mandate. Christ alone perfectly obeys the law of God. Christ alone comes and fulfills the covenant of redemption made between him and the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Christ alone works. Christ alone fulfills the dominion mandate. Christ alone makes a new creation and extends the glory of God through them. Who is them? The bride of Christ, the church, to the ends of the world. As a result, Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, as a result of all of these things and more, God has put all things under his feet, and it is now Christ who fulfills the dominion mandate. We, the church's bride, we are the helpmate of Christ. And what do we do? Just as Eve was the helpmate of Adam, we are the helpmate of Christ, and we help Christ by extending the image of God, the glory of God, the temple, to the ends of the earth through evangelism, through sharing the gospel. This is what we discussed last week. If you didn't hear last week's sermon, you need to go back and hear the one before that because they're connected. And those other sermons that we listened to that we preached the weeks before are going to help you today. As we journey into the second chapter of the book of Genesis, we carry all of those things with us. Every single one of those things that we have learned until now, carry those with you as we journey into the book of Genesis. And brothers and sisters, as you journey through the rest of the Bible, carry those things with you. One of our friends says that if you get the garden right, you get everything right. 
If you get the garden wrong, you get everything wrong. So as we journey into the second chapter of the book of Genesis, let's stand for the reading of God's word. This, I'll say it in just a moment. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God had a blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated this morning. I should have said this last week. I'm going to say it today, and I'm going to continue to say it. Last week, I should have said every single member of RBC should be here next Sunday. I say today, and I'm looking around, I'm scurrying for everyone because I, I want every single member of RBC to be here and to hear today's sermon. So if you know someone who is not here today, tell them you must hear Sunday's sermon. And if you're here this morning, I'm going to be looking for everyone next week. Every member, please be here next Sunday and the following Sunday, especially for these sermons specifically. And, and we'll find out why specifically. So if, if it seemed like um, I'm looking for everyone, I am, because this sermon and the, the two to follow are so incredibly important. We will be discussing three points this morning. Here is your first one. The purpose of creation in the span of six days. The purpose of creation in the span of six days. We come now to the last day of the creation week, the seventh day. Now listen close to what I'm about to say. It did not take God six days to create. Are you with me? Don't leave. It did not take God six days to create. Listen carefully to what I just said. Well, let's go through it. On the first day, God worked. He created the heavens and the earth, waters, light, and darkness. Day one. On the second day, God worked. He created the expanse separating the waters from the waters, calling the expanse sky. Day two. On the third day, God worked. He called forth dry land and separated the seas. God called forth plants, trees, and vegetation. Day three. On the fourth day, God worked. He created the cosmos, the sun, the moon, the stars. Day four. Day five, God worked. He created the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, and blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the air, fill the sea. Day five. On the sixth day, guess what God did? God worked. He created the livestock, creeping things, all the beasts of the field. And then God created the apex, the, the Mount Everest, as it were, of creation, Man, who is made in the image of God. What sounds like 
God took six days to create, or, or it took God six days to create, does it not? Brothers and sisters, six days of work. It did not take God six days of work. Now listen close. We are asking, we're not asking how long did it take for God to create the world. As if work demanded a certain time frame due to God's limitations. Hear me again. We're not saying that the work of God, it took six days as if God needed six days to complete a certain work or God needed a specific time frame because God was limited. Are you with me? Yeah. Instead, God is all powerful. As Pastor John just recently spoke, there is nothing that God cannot do. There is nothing too great for God to accomplish. God is not like us. God does not grow weary. When we work, there are limitations to our work. There are limitations to our abilities. There are physical limitations. Some of you are tired now. And if I were to ask you, why are you so tired? I worked all weekend. I'm tired. And I hear your voice every Sunday. I hope you would not say that last part. There are physical limitations. There are emotional limitations. We as humans, we require food. We require drink. We, we require rest in order to continue our work. But it is not so with God. Does God grow weary? No. Scripture says in, in Isaiah forty twenty eight, the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he does not faint, nor does he grow weary. Therefore, when we say six days, we're not asking how long did it take for God to create the world, to complete the work of creation, but rather this, how long did God take? Not how long did it take God, but how long did God take? Very slight difference, but hopefully you catch the difference. Not how long did it take, but how long did God take? How long did God take? Six days. So I kind of just drew you in by the first statement. The first statement has no bearing on anything we're talking about now. Instead of this, God, it did not take God six days. God took six days. Are you with me? God could have taken as long as he wanted in the work of creation. God had, I said this to my son and my wife last night as we were doing worship. God could have made the world in an instant if he chose to. And God could have also took 16 days or 60 days or 6 million days to create the world. But instead, God, by his eternal decree, God, by his wisdom, chose to take six literal 24-hour days to create all things. Now, brothers and sisters, are you with me? Why? Are you with me? Why? Why six days? Pause. Since God could have completed the work of creation instantly, or God could have created the work of creation over a span of millions of years, in his wisdom, he chose to complete the work of creation in six days. We must ask the question, why? Have you ever thought of that? We take for granted six days, rest on the seventh. That's the way we live. I work six days. Some of you work five. And then I rest on the weekend. But why is it like that? 
What's the purpose of it? We know that the work of creation was not a debilitating work for God. It was not a work that took exertion from God. It was not a work that caused God to be tired. He could have done anything he wanted to do. God did not proclaim, wow, hey, I'm done. Six days. That, that, that actually went a lot faster than I thought. Right? When we work, how do we work? When we work, we say, wow, that actually is taking a lot longer than I thought. Or, or we work and we get things done and we say, that actually got done a lot quicker than I thought. But it's not so for God. Therefore, if the work of creation was not for God, then who was it for? Are you with me? Since it did not matter how long he took, the, the work was not God saying, I need this much time. The work was, was therefore for someone else. Are you with me? Where do we go to answer that question? Who was the work for then? We must allow God to answer this question for us. And the place that he has answered that question for us is in his word. Go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, Moses is receiving the law of God. And as God begins to deliver his holy law to Moses, he begins with the moral law. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship idols. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And then the Lord comes to the fourth commandment in the moral law of God. And what does he say in verse 8? Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. Remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. To keep it holy. And we're going to speak more about this in a moment. But God calls his people to remember the seventh day. In Hebrew it is the Shabbat, the Sabbath. This day is a sacred day. It is a day that has been set apart or blessed by God. Now, listen close. Why was it important for men to obey, to observe this day and keep it holy? The Bible tells us, verse 9, six days you shall labor, six days, and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord. God commands his people to work for how many days? Six days. And then rest on the seventh day. Now listen close. Work six days and then rest. Why? Why not work seven days? Some of us would love to work seven days. We would make more money if we worked seven days. We would advance in corporations if we worked seven days. We would be more financially secure and ahead if we worked seven days. But God commands his people to work six days and then rest. Brothers and sisters, why? Well, let's get to the answer to the question. In whose image are you and I created in? God's image. We are created in the image of God. We were created to be fruitful and to multiply. We were created to expand the image of God throughout the entire earth. We are created not only to reflect a, a knowledge of that God is, but we, we were created to reflect that we have a knowledge of who God is in the way that we live. And how do we do that? We do that by following the pattern that has been established by God. Pattern. We, 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 we live to the glory of God. We image God. By living the way God lives, or at least the way that God has patterned for us to live. Are you with me? 
So what is that pattern? God gives Moses the answer of that pattern. Uh, Verse 11 of chapter 20. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And then he rested on the seventh day. Or that could say, in six days, God worked. And then God rested. The purpose of God's six days of work in creation, of all things, was to establish what? At creation, a divine pattern. A what? A divine pattern of what? Of work and rest. As image bearers of God, we are to follow that pattern of work and rest. Why? Because God worked and God rested. The work was not for God. The work was for you and I. To do what? To follow the divine pattern established by God at creation. Again, if the work was not for God, if God did not need to take six days, but could have done it in an instant, he was doing it for a deeper reason. And that deeper reason was for you and I to follow. For you and I to follow that divine pattern of work. Now, if we follow the divine pattern of work and raise your hand if you work. You all work. Raise your hand if you most likely will not miss work, even if you're sick. You will work. You will go to work those five or six days. You, why? Well, whether you know it or not, and hopefully now you do know, you are following the pattern of your maker. But, but it's not just go to work. As we talked about last week, if we limit work to just go and get a paycheck, then we're stripping Christ of this work. We're stripping the the real meaning of what it means to work. Are you with me? So you'll go to work. You'll follow that pattern. But there's another pattern, another example that that God has, has made for his creatures. And what is that? Our second point, the Sabbath rest of the creator. The Sabbath rest of the creator. Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their host. By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which he had done which God had created and made. Now listen close. The first chapter of the book of Genesis It gives the reader, you and I, and and the first readers, anyone who reads the book of Genesis, it gives us a broad overview of the first six days of the work of creation to which man is made in the image of God, the apex of the work of, of that creation. Then we come to the second chapter. When we come to the second chapter, we are told of the creator's Sabbath, the creator's Shabbat, right? The creator's rest in verses one through three. Now listen close. And then we come to the fourth verse. Look at the fourth verse, would you? I'm going to actually look at it too. The fourth verse. And, and what does it say in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4? These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day the Lord God had made them, made the, he- the earth and the heavens. Verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, 
and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the earth, then the Lord God formed the man. Now, did you see what just happened? First, the first chapter has given us the overview of creation. And then chap- chapter 2, verses 5 and on, gives us details going back to the creation week. Have you ever read that and thought, so is he, did he create God, uh, man here or did he create man here? Are you with me? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Do you ever look at Genesis 1:26 and say, well, it looks like man is created here. Then you go to chapter 2 and it says, but it looks like man is created here. So when was he created? Created here. And then God in chapter 2 gives you more information about what happened there. What is scripture doing? Scripture is interpreting scripture for you. Scripture is giving you a commentary on scripture. So if you ever wondered, I wonder what was happening. What did that moment look like? God tells you in chapter 2. When there was no bush in the field. Here's what God did as he created man. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. We are told in chapter 2, verse 8, that God also did something during that creation week. Guess what he does? He plants a garden. This was not after the creation. This is during the creation. God plants a garden. And what does he do? He puts that created man in that garden to do what? To work it and to keep it. Brothers and sisters, when did this happen? On the sixth day. Are you with me? Last Lord's Day, we briefly spoke about the garden. That it was this unique place on the face of the earth. Of all that God had created in all the world, there is a a, a specific focus on this particular place. You imagine the world. All that God has made when God has made it. And of all the things that God has made when God has made them, God focuses on a particular spot of all things that he's made. And that is a garden. A garden that he is, he is, that is later named Eden. It is a place of the special dwelling of God. It is the, the special dwelling place on God on the earth. God plants this garden. It is there in that garden that God walked back and forth. It is there in that garden that there were precious stones. The Bible says there was gold there. Precious stones, gold. It was there in that garden that that rivers flowed down from that garden. There were sacred trees in that garden, were there not? There was a tree called the tree of life in this garden. Do you know that the the menorah that you that you that you see the Jews have that it, it is it was a picture of the tree that was inside of the Ten Commandments. Or the, 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 sorry, it was a picture, a, a replica of the tree that was inside the Holy of Holies, that, that great box that the Israelites used to carry around. And it is said that that tree represents the tree of life, which was in that box. Now, it is interesting. When we start to look at all of these different things, it starts to point to the fact that The garden is more than a garden. The garden is actually a temple. Why? Because all of the elements that we see later described in the temple, in the tabernacle, are also described in the garden. How is that possible? There's no mention of the word temple in that text. But the language is the same. The language that describes the the garden is the same as the language that describes later Israel's tabernacle. Look at Ezekiel chapter 28, 
and verse 11 through 19. Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 11 through 19. And there are going to be a few verses that I just point to. And as you're there, you can read the whole verse, the whole verse or chapter later. Notice verse 13. It specifically speaks of Eden. You were in Eden. The what? The garden of God. In verse 14, in verse 16, the prophet calls Eden the holy mountain of God. In the Bible... Mountains are sites of transcendent spiritual experiences or encounters with God. When someone encounters God, when do they usually do so? On a mountain. On a mountain. G.K. Beale says the prophet Ezekiel portrays Eden on a mountain. Israel's temple was on Mount Zion. And the end temple, the one that you will see in the book of Revelation, was located on a mountain. The prophet Ezekiel identifies Eden as the holy mountain of God. It is the special place on earth where, where God's presence dwells. In verse 18, the prophet says, you profaned your sanctuaries. Where? That are where? In Eden. A sanctuary in Eden? Well, where are sanctuaries found? In temples. Are you with me? Say amen. Okay, just making sure. G.K. Beale says it should not be unexpected to find that Ezekiel 28, 13 through 14, which we just read, 16 and 18, refer to Eden, the garden of God, the holy mountain of God. And also alludes to it containing sanctuaries, which elsewhere is a plural way of referring to Israel's tabernacle, Leviticus 21 and 23, the temple. The plural reference to one temple probably arose because of multiple sacred spaces or sanctuaries within the temple complex. Meaning this, the temple later consists of a courtyard, which is a sanctuary, consists of a holy place, which is a sanctuary, and consists of the holy of holies, which is a sanctuary. You, Ezekiel says, you profaned your sanctuaries. Who is he speaking of? Who is he speaking of? Real quick, some have read Ezekiel chapter 28 and said, well, he's speaking of the devil. He's speaking of Lucifer who fell, who profaned God. Is he? It sounds like he might be speaking about Adam. Adam, who was on the mountain of God. Adam, who profaned the sanctuary of God by what? By letting a profane, a, a dirty, evil, wicked thing into the temple. Who was what? The serpent. You allow the serpent into the temple. You profaned your temple. Are you with me? Because of this, G.K. Bill says Ezekiel 28 is probably, therefore, the most explicit place anywhere in canonical literature where the Garden of Eden is specifically called the temple. Stay with me. There are many other things that strongly imply the garden is a temple, a sanctuary. And, and we may commit an entire sermon just to that. But what does the garden being a temple have to do with anything? You've made a great uh, point so far. I, I've hopefully given you enough evidence to see that the garden is a temple. The point is this. God had completed his work. The Lord took six days to create 
And then when he went, then when he was done with the work of creating, the Lord rested and went into the work of sustaining. The work of creating his temple then turns to rest where now the Lord rests on his throne and sustains his temple, sustains all creation. What was included in all things? The planting of the garden. Not just any garden, a temple. The Lord God made a temple during the work of the six days. And then God rested. He Shabbat, Sabbath. Remember, rest is not because the Lord had grown weary, but rather the Lord went from working in creation to sustaining creation. So then what is the meaning of the creator's rest? Did God rest because he was tired? Just like the six days, did God, did God take six days because that's how much work he had to do? Or was the six days of work a pattern that we were created to follow? Okay, so then if God is a temple maker, if God creates a temple and then rests because he has completed his work, then what do you think that means for you and I? Are you with me? The temple and rest are connected in the Bible. The Bible says in Psalm 132, verse 7, let us go into his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Verse 13 of that same chapter, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever, he says. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. God's resting place is where? The temple. He dwells there. His throne is heaven and earth is his footstool. What is a footstool used for? Rest. The Lord completes his creation. The Lord God completes the building of his temple and rests from that work. And then he enters into the work of enthronement. Are you with me? So rest, what do you mean rest? It sounds like rest just means he, he, he didn't do anything. God rests from the work of creation. And then enters the work of enthronement. He's enthroned over his creation. And then does what on that day? Blesses that day. This makes sense. Genesis 2, 3. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work he had done in creation. This, this day, of all the, the days of creation, God blesses and sets apart that day. What was the purpose of that rest? Just as the work of six days was not for God, so the seventh day of rest was also not for God. The Creator's Sabbath, Richard Barcelos, is a teaching tool for us. It is not only something that tells us about what God did a long time ago, building a temple, then resting, but it is a symbol of what could and would happen for man in the future. It's a symbol. It's pointing to something. The rest of God is something that man will one day enjoy. So God's rest is saying you also can enter into this. It's pointing forward to something. 
that we are to accomplish. Just as we are to accomplish the six days of work, extending the garden, spreading the image of God through evangelism, we also could enter into a rest that God is promising to his creation. When God commands Israel to observe the seventh day, what does he use as his reasoning for observing the seventh day? He uses creation. When he says rest, he doesn't just say, hey, guys, just rest. I know you've worked hard. You need to rest. Instead, he points to himself and says, just as God worked six days and then rest, so you must also work and rest. He uses creation as his divine exemplar or a divine example of what we are to follow. Look at creation. Follow that. Adam was called to follow the work of his creator. Adam was called to follow the example of his creator who did what? Built the temple. Now, what do people do in temples? Huh? Worship. Worship. What was Adam supposed to do? Expand the temple so that people could do what? Worship God. And then when his work was completed, what would he enter into? Rest. Rest. This was Adam's vocation. To be a temple builder. Adam was to work, to be fruitful and to multiply, to extend the image of God, to work the garden, the temple, to extend that temple to the ends of the war of the earth. Adam was called to work and like his maker, he was called to enter into that same rest as his maker. If Adam succeeded in this covenant of works, hear me. If Adam succeeded in this covenant of works. Or obeyed God in his work. He would have been given the right to the tree of life. And would have entered into his rest. The rest of his creator. His Sabbath. An eternal rest. This is the purpose of six days. And one day, of, one day of rest. This was not necessarily for God. But God set it up as a pattern for man to follow. So that man could live and glorify God. So ultimately, it's for the glory of God. But God has established this for you to follow him. Brothers and sisters, it was a gift. A gift from man or from God to man. God wrote this law, this moral law on the hearts of men. It is a moral law that God wrote on the hearts of men and was established at creation to observe this day. The law of God. That law did not begin at Sinai. That law of observe the Sabbath did not begin at Sinai. Why? Because God says when he gives them that fourth commandment, he says, look at creation. That's where it started. Are you with me? It was not a unique law only to Israel. Why? Because it began and it was established at creation by the creator. It has a meaning. Prior to the, 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 it has a meaning prior to the status of an ordinance for ancient Israel. It's consecration as a sacred day. It dates all the way back to Genesis 2, not Exodus 20. Amen? Amen. What did Jesus say to those who 
opposed him as he worked on the Sabbath day. Mark 2.27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. What came first, man or the Sabbath? Man. When was man created? On the sixth day. Man came first and then the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not for the Jews. Jesus did not say the Sabbath was made for the Jews, not the Jews for the Sabbath. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was established when Israel, it, 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 was, it was not established when Israel was established. It predates Israel. Amen. At least by one day. So, brothers and sisters, the Sabbath was God's divine rest, wherein he rested from his work of creation and building a temple. He then entered into his rest of glory and enthronement. The work of God. The Lord God worked and rested as a, as a divine example for man to follow. That was established as a mandate of creation or a mandate via being created in the image of God. Adam was to build a temple like his maker. The creator's Sabbath was a promise that pointed to something greater if man had accomplished his work. It was a symbol that pointed to something, listen, better than what Adam had initially received in his initial created state. Did you hear that? The, 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 the rest of the Sabbath was something that God was pointing to that was greater than what Adam was initially created in. How is that possible? Adam was sinless. But Adam was created in, in a mutable state. He could change his... Let's go to uh, third point. Third point. Man's failure, Christ obedience. Man's failure, Christ obedience. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their host. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all the work which, he had, which God had created and made. The Garden of Eden. We'll do a little review, then just jump forward. The Garden of Eden, first temple. Adam was called to cultivate that space, to tend the garden. Extend the sacred space of God. Amen? Extend the temple to the ends of the earth. Amen? Brothers and sisters, this mandate was for Adam. It was for humanity. There was therefore, as I can't remember the, the pastor's name, that there was an onward, upward call for Adam. That there was an onward, upward call for Adam. This pastor that, that Pastor Zay recently let me listen to. How many of you have ever uh, read or heard of the Chronicles of Narnia? Aslan, when they, when they finally reach their destination, they are excited because they think that they've arrived. And Aslan keeps saying to the people, onward. Upward, that there is more to be seen, that there is a deeper, higher place that we are to go to. We're not completely all, way, all, all the way there yet. When Adam was created, there was an onward, upward. There was an onward, upward calling for man. That there was something greater that Adam could achieve. Man was created in a state that could be improved or worsened. Based upon his obedience or disobedience. Adam was created in a mutable or changeable state. Man's initial creation. It could have been improved or decreased based upon his obedience to the covenant of God. 
or the covenant of works. And how do we know this? How do we know that Adam's condition could have improved or worsened? Well, did his condition worsen? Or did it get better? It got worse, right? A whole lot worse. Adam sinned. And because of his sin, he was removed from the Garden of Eden. If he would have obeyed, he would have been given the right to the tree of life. He would have improved his condition. He would have worked and obeyed. He would have entered into that Sabbath rest. Did he succeed? No. Did Adam extend the glory of God? No. Did Adam uh, make a temple like his maker? No. We know all the answers to those questions. The serpent deceived both the man and the woman, and they disobeyed. They were exiled from where? The temple. They were removed from the presence of God. They did not enter into the rest that God promised they would enter into, should Adam have kept the covenant of works. They never entered it. Adam fell short of something. What did he fall short of? He fell short of what we've all fallen short of. What? You know the verse. You say it all the time. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That did not become true when Paul penned that in Romans. That was true when Adam fell in the garden. Are you with me? This includes Adam. All. Adam is included in that all who have fallen. Yes, All have fallen. Adam is the reason why we all have fallen short. And fallen short of what? Glory. The glory that Adam failed to accomplish due to his disobedience. That rest that Adam did not enter into. All humanity is now born in sin and iniquity. Our minds are polluted and darkened from the truth. Our wills are now disabled and unable to do spiritual good unto eternal life. Our our hearts naturally hate God and his law. But to God be the glory. He has not left us on our own. He has not left us in that helpless, hopeless state of condition. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him. Not a thing was made that was made. And the word became flesh. Verse 14. And did what? Tabernacled. Tabernacled among us. His presence once again was among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. The Lord Jesus Christ came as the second Adam, the better Adam. He perfectly obeyed the righteous law of God. He lived in perfect obedience, in in perfect obedience and in passive obedience. To God. He was a divine exemplar of God. What did he do? He worked. This, the first Adam was called to work. What does the second Adam do? He, wor- he tells you himself. My father is working until now. And I am working. John five seventeen. Remember that? My father has, has worked. And now I am working. I am completing this work that God has called me to do. What was that scripture in reference to? Do you know the context of that passage? John 5, 5, 17, I'm working. It was in relationship to the Sabbath. To the Sabbath. 
The Lord Jesus was actively working to complete the work of building a new temple, a new temple, a new creation, a new creation, the church, his bride, his bride. What did the Lord say when he cleared out the money changers in the temple? They said to him, what sign do you do for all these things? Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Yes, talking about his own body, but also pointing forward to a new temple in which would would house the Holy Spirit of God. We now are the temples of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are the temple of God? The Spirit of God dwells in you. Unlike the first Adam who disobeyed God and caused death, the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ comes and lives in perfect obedience so that we might live. Romans 5.17, for if by the, the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Unlike the first Adam, who brought his children into sin, and we all fell short of God's glory, the second Adam comes, and what does he do? He brings many sons to glory. Unlike the first Adam, who failed in his work, who never entered into his Sabbath rest, the second Adam completes his work. He fulfills the covenant of redemption. At the same time, he accomplishes for man what man failed to accomplish for himself. He actively obeys God, passively submits to the torture of man, enduring the suffering and the shame of a common sinner. He drinks the cup of the wrath of God down to the very dregs, yields up his life. Becomes our substitute, our sacrifice. His death was the death that we deserved. His price was the the price that we could never pay. But glory be to God, brothers and sisters, death could not hold him. Death could not hold him. He rose on the first day of the week. He was seen by his disciples. He gave to them the promised Holy Spirit. He ascended to glory And he entered into his rest. What is that rest? Glory. Glory. It is the glory that we who are in Christ now have in Christ. What does the scripture say? Matthew 11, 22 or 28. Come to me. All who labor. And are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. That scripture hopefully takes on a whole new meaning for you. Come to me, all you who work, all you who are heavy laden. What is the work? What was the heavy laden in in reference to? The law. All of you who are working, not all of you. Man, you had a a 12-hour day? Gosh. Come here, let me pour some water on your head. You'll feel better. No, it was in reference to the law, that law that was heavy, that law that was a burden. Why? Because it was a law that we could not fulfill. Come to me, he says him, and he will give you rest. Why? Because he completes the work for us. He enters into his rest. We who are in him also share in that rest, in that glory. We worship, therefore, on the first day of the week. Why? 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 I thought it was work six and then rest on the seventh. Today is not the seventh day. Today is the first day. Why are we resting and then working? Because the work's already been done. Because the work has already been done. The work that has been accomplished by Christ has already been done. Therefore, when we come on this Lord's Day, Sabbath, we rest. And, and how do we show our rest? Worship. 
worship God. We worship God. Why? Because he and he alone has completed the work. Therefore, we now rest in God. And we, as his helpmate throughout the rest of the week, do what? Share the gospel. Why? Because we have entered into that rest. Do we not want to bring others into that rest, into the glory, into the kingdom of God? We share the gospel to all those who have ears to hear. We show, share with them where they can find rest. We observe the Lord's day. Because on this day, Christ has risen. Today's Easter. You'll be here on Easter. On the Easter, April, May, whenever they decide to make it. No one knows. You'll make sure you're there on that day. Every Lord's Day is Easter. Every Lord's Day is a Sabbath rest. Every Lord's Day we celebrate what Christ has done for us. We do not work, then rest. We rest and then work because Christ is victorious. We celebrate his victory in an already not yet in that onward, upward sense. Keep going. Keep pushing. Keep striving. It has been accomplished, yes, but there is still more while you are here to be done. Share the gospel. Make disciples. Enjoy this Lord's Day, Shabbat. It has been set apart as a sacred day of rest. Not rest in which we just do whatever we want to do. We follow the Creator's pattern, His command. That was established at creation to to observe this day of worship. To worship God. It's not your day. It's the Lord's day. It's a gift from God that is set apart from God. This is not your day to go on vacation. It's Sunday. We'll go on vacation. This is not your day to stay in your house and clean it up. This is not your day that, hey, you know what? People are coming over. I'll stay home from church and I'll cook. The food will get made. Or do it the day before. This is the Lord's day. It's not Mama's day, Father's day, Christmas day. It's the Lord's day. This is the Lord's day. This is the Lord's day. And we must come celebrate the son who brings us into his rest. Why would we not, church, say, I must be there? Why would we not? For us, for anyone to say, church, ah, not today. I'm just going to stay home. I'm going to play hooky. Friends, visitors, brothers, sisters, the people of God don't think that way. And the people of God surely don't live that way. Amen. The people of God don't think that way. And the people of God don't live that way. And it's not, what time will we get out? Because I've got other things to do. It's not a three-hour, as Pastor John was saying. It's not three-hour Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day. Rest in Him. Worship. Go home. Rest with your family. Talk about the things of God. Worship in the evening. Let it be known that this day is set apart. My son doesn't even know what Sunday is. I'll say to him, what's tomorrow? The Lord's Day. Why? Because he knows what we do on the Lord's Day. He knows the things that are set apart for the Lord's Day. My my nephew uh, Moses sat with us when we did worship. Being trained to observe this day even from young. Now listen, not because, hey, we're just coming to celebrate. That's one aspect. 
It has been established by our creator at creation. It's a moral law. That was expected of, a, of Adam as he worked. He worked six days and what was, he, what was he required to do on that seventh day? We don't know how many Sabbaths he observed. But however many Sabbaths he observed until the fall, he did so every single time. Why? Because he understood that there was a work that he was doing that would eventually lead to a rest. And he would observe that. Someone will say, well, Christ has become our Sabbath rest. He has become our Sabbath rest. And what do we do in light of that? Say, therefore, the fourth commandment no longer applies to me. No. The fourth commandment now applies to me in such a greater way, in a more spectacular way now, because that which we were trying to accomplish has been accomplished. And we observe it because God has commanded it, because we now celebrate it, and because of all the benefits I receive when I do. The people of God don't say, I'm staying home today. Now, if you are not physically able, we understand. My mom was not able, physically able to be here the past two Sundays and missed the fellowship, the worship, like you could not imagine. Was trying to get here, but that guy kept stopping her. I'd say, come. No, I'm not allowed. We come to worship. You should not miss a Lord's day. Now, this is part one. Part two is a Sabbath remains. There's a text in Hebrews that we are just going to go all the way through. That is going to give us more evidence as to today was laying the groundwork, the foundation. Next week, a Sabbath remains. We'll talk about that next week. Let's stand. You see why I was so um, almost anxious to see that all the members are here. So I encourage you, if, if, um, if you know someone who's not here, pass on this sermon to them. We may post it on Facebook so that it, it's something that is easily accessible. Please be here next Lord's Day Sabbath, and we will continue with this wonderful subject of the Lord's Day. It has completely changed at least my idea, my understanding of, of why I'm here, yes. why we are here. And I hope it's doing the same for you. Let's pray.